good to see you tonight. It's good to be here. You all awake? I'm going to try to keep it that way. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to John 15. Titus and I got by to check out one of your fine ice cream establishments today, so that was a good, good thing. It's always a good day when you can get ice cream. I think we may try out a couple more while we're here. So one way that we find out about a place we're visiting is to see what kind of ice cream they have, and that makes us, helps us make an informed decision about whether we like it or not. John chapter 15 this evening. Appreciate you being here, and uh, I, I do want to say thank you for being faithful to the services. I do recognize that it's not always easy to make it to the evening services after you've had a busy day. And uh, we'll try to be respectful of your time tonight, but uh, I trust as well that the Lord will speak through the preaching and that that will be uh, something that will be a blessing and a help to you in your Christian life. John 15, we're continuing this theme which we've begun, and I'm not promising that we'll stay on this theme through the whole week, but it's a good chance that we will, of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And last night when we... Uh, concluded the message or we're coming towards the end of the message, we talked about how the reward that comes, one of the rewards that comes to a disciple is that the triune God comes to dwell with them. And there is a real relationship, real fellowship. And as we come now to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 is what we're going to take as our text this evening. It's a very familiar passage And I want to speak to you now more. I want to develop that idea of God dwelling with us and this real relationship, or as I've called it for the purpose of the message tonight, the vital connection of the disciple. It is absolutely vital, absolutely critical that every disciple would understand what it means to be connected to Christ. There's a metaphor that's used here in John chapter 15, which helps us to understand the importance of this principle. And when we understand what it means to have a real relationship with God, and and by that I, I mean even it's possible, I think, for people to be truly saved, but not be fellowshipping with God as they ought. To be, if you will, Um, estranged somewhat in their relationship with God, to where they're not listening to His voice. Still saved, they haven't lost their salvation, but they're not in tune with God like they ought to be and like they once were. And that can happen in our lives. So we want to talk about this vital connection. And Jesus really dealt with it here in John chapter 15. So we'll read the text and then we'll get right into the message tonight. The scripture says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. 
He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now you'll notice, and we're going to deal with this tonight, there is a correlation between abiding in Christ and bearing fruit. Bearing fruit as a Christian is God's will for us, but in order to bear that fruit, we must be connected to Christ. We must be abiding in Christ. And so we want to talk about this connection that is necessary for our lives, this, uh, if you will, this fellowship, this abiding in Christ that is absolutely necessary. First of all, if we're going to be connected as we, are, as we ought to be to the Lord Jesus Christ as his followers, we must acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the source of our vitality. He is the source of our strength and of our life. And the reason that this is so important is because I believe that it's, uh, it's tempting for us, especially as we get older in our Christian life, as we get a little farther down the road, we can begin to assume that we can do the Christian life in our own power that we can live for the Lord. We know what to do. We know the right things to say. Uh, we, know, we know the things to, to be doing and when we're supposed to do them. And, and we can become somewhat routine in our Christian life. Not that routine is entirely bad. It's good to have good habits that are things that remind us and prompt us that it's the right time to do the right things. But we can become very dependent upon ourselves instead of dependent upon Christ. And so there is a need consciously to acknowledge that Christ is the source of my vitality. Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 1, I am the true vine. He describes himself as a vine. And it's interesting that he uses the adjective true to describe himself as the vine. And the reason that I believe he does that is because there are some other vines out there that we could get connected to that are not the true vine. In fact, there are many false Christs. There are many false gospels. There are many things that masquerade as the truth of God, which are not true at all. So we must be careful to make sure that we have identified the true vine. Even uh, in addition to that, we find that there are things that we could root our life to that are the wrong place to be rooted. Places where we could tie into to find our sense of significance, our sense of meaning, our sense of purpose and direction, and they would be the wrong places for us to be deriving those qualities from. Jesus is the true vine. We like to say sometimes Jesus ought to be the very center of our life. Everything about our life should revolve around Jesus. We spoke about this on Sunday morning for a little while when we talked about how He should be the number one priority. He should be the one that we are pursuing after. Sometimes, even as believers and disciples of Christ, we can become disoriented and we can begin to seek our vitality from other places 
or people other than Christ himself. And when we get confused like this, what happens is that we begin to lose our way a little bit. We step out of the will of God. We find ourselves uh, finding uh, our fulfillment somewhere other than in the will of God. That's a dangerous place to be for a child of God. We must be very cautious to acknowledge that Christ is the source of vitality. So he says, I am the true vine. Then he goes on in verse 2, and he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And I want you just to focus on the first part of that phrase when he says, Every branch in me. When we think about the phrase, in me, it reminds us of another phrase that we find frequently in the New Testament, which speaks about salvation, and it is a phrase of in Christ. When you are in Christ, then you are covered by his sacrifice. Then you are accepted in the beloved. To be in Christ is everything that it means to be a Christian. And he says, every branch that is in me. So we need to make sure that we are in Christ. Uh, We need to make sure that we have put our faith in Christ, that our life in Christ has a definite starting point, that we have been born again, that we absolutely for certain know that we belong to God and that because of what Jesus Christ has done. Make sure that you are in him. So he says these branches are in him, but he speaks about every branch. And when he designates every branch, he doesn't make a difference between the branches. He just speaks about every branch as a single class. And and by that, I want you to understand that when it comes to our relationship to God through Christ, we are all on an equal footing. And that footing has been established by Jesus. The Bible knows no distinction or higher classes of Christians. There's no sense in which, well, if you are a pastor or a missionary, then you're on a higher plane of Christian existence. No, they're Christians with a particular calling in their life. But that should be true of every believer, that they are a Christian with a particular calling in their life. So there's no higher class of Christian. There's no sense in which, if I'm a pastor, I can ignore some of the things here in John 15 because I've reached a higher plane of Christian existence and I don't need this anymore. Nope, I'm one of those branches. I need to be abiding in Christ. Every branch in me. And so we understand that we have a responsibility to be connected to Christ. We need to realize that Christ is the source of vitality. Now, Jesus really makes this plain a little bit farther down when he speaks about the branches bearing fruit. And if you you look there in verse 4, he says, "...abide in me, and I in you." As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. So this is a simple statement, which of course uh, these disciples would have understood because it was very common to see vineyards, places where fruit was grown. It was a very common experience 
They were accustomed to this sort of thing. And I think even those of us who may not, uh, maybe we're not quite as connected to the agricultural scene, but it's pretty easy to understand if a branch is no longer connected to the vine or if a branch is no longer connected to the trunk of the tree, the branch doesn't have life. The branch is not going to bring forth fruit. I, when I was a teenager, I was hired by a farmer to work in his apple orchard during harvest season. And I did other things for the farmer, but during apple harvest, he would hire me to pick apples. And I made the princely sum of $5 an hour, which would make many of the young people today just weep. But uh, to me, that was a lot of money. That was a really good pay, actually, at that time. And I remember that we would, uh, of course, climb up into those trees. We had ladders, and we had uh, special sacks for harvesting the apples in a special way. You were to, He was an old Pennsylvania Dutch farmer, and that may not mean much to you, but I'm sure Pastor Byler knows exactly what I'm talking about. He was very particular, and he was, he was very strict about how things were to be done. And so in the process of picking apples, you get scratched a lot and all that sort of thing. But it's a, very, it's a pretty satisfying job. And I learned a little bit about trees, fruit trees. And, you know, if you found a branch that was laying on the ground that had somehow gotten hit, and, boy, if I ever hit a branch with the tractor when I was mowing and knocked it off, uh, I would get in a lot of trouble. I remember one time when I dragged the uh, grass catcher through his wife's flower bed. I didn't realize it. And the little wheel went through the, the edge of the flower bed and kind of tore up her mulch. And I've never seen a woman so upset in all my life. She came out of the house and, and took me up one side and down the other. For, and I fixed it fast, all right? So, um, but, but, you know, if you saw a branch just there on the ground, and he'd come through and prune sometimes, and there was branches then you know with certainty that branch is no longer going to bear fruit. That branch now is, is no good. That branch is going to be used for maybe burning uh, as firewood or kindling a fire. Usually he'd drag them off somewhere in a tree line and he'd throw them there to, to rot. But they're not going to be bringing forth fruit. Why? Because they're no longer connected to the tree. So this is not hard to understand. A branch does not bring forth fruit by itself. For you and I, the truth that Jesus is communicating is it is impossible to bear fruit apart from abiding in Christ. If we are not abiding in Christ, we will not be bringing forth fruit because we do not have the vitality or the strength within ourselves to bring forth spiritual fruit. And fruit, speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and also the fruit of the Christian, which is reproduction, which is uh, reproducing your life in another. And so he's speaking about the importance of being connected to Christ. We must acknowledge that Christ is the source of vitality. Now, Jesus really drives the point home uh, down, down a little bit farther in verse 5. At the very end of the verse, he says it so plainly, For without me ye can do what is the next word? Nothing. So if you don't have that underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you just to mark that because that is a key truth for every believer to understand. 
There is nothing that I can do of spiritual value apart from abiding in Christ. I must acknowledge my need of Christ. It's very easy for a Christian who's been saved for a while to begin thinking, I can do the Christian life. And, and we don't, I don't think we express it that way. And, and we know better, actually. Like, we wouldn't stand up and say, I just want to let the whole church know that I've decided I could do this Christian life without the Lord. That's not what we would say. We know that's not the right way to express it. That's not something that we ought to even think, but we do sometimes think it. And, and we demonstrate that we're thinking that because we stop fellowshipping with the Lord. But we continue going through the motions of living our Christian life. And, and, and now we're trying to go in our own power. And we need to be reminded, there's nothing that I can do. You know, as a, as a preacher, and I've been preaching for quite a while. I was called to preach when I was 16. And I started preaching here and there as I was given the opportunity. I've been serving in, in the ministry in some form, in paid ministry, if we want to put it that way, for over 20 years. And honestly, there was a time when I was younger when getting up in front of people would cause a little bit of, of fear and trepidation of being in front of folks. But honestly, I'm in front of people all the time. I don't really get nervous anymore about that sort of thing. But there's a danger in that because you can get to where you start to feel like, you know what, I can do this. I, I, can, I can do this in my own power. I don't really need the Lord. And if I stop asking the Lord for his help, if I stop acknowledging, Lord, I need you. I need you to help me or I cannot do this work. If, if I'm on outreach and I'm approaching someone's door, and I think, I got this. I mean, I know the arguments. I am prepared. I'm, I'm going to really get these folks, and I'm going I'm to win them to the Lord. Guess what? I've already lost. Because I must acknowledge in that moment, Lord, I need you. I need the Spirit to work in this situation. As a believer, I need to be reminded on a moment-by-moment basis, without Him... I can do nothing. This is a fundamental truth that every disciple must constantly have before them in their mind. Nothing. I can do nothing without Christ. So acknowledge that Christ is the source of vitality. This is going to allow me to be connected to the Lord. When I sense my need for Him, I will be seeking after Him. I will be wanting to know His mind. I will be wanting to be fellowshipping with him. So acknowledge that Christ is the source of vitality. But then second of all, if I'm going to be connected to the Lord the way that I ought to be, the second thing that Jesus talks about here in John 15, which runs as a parallel track alongside our incredible need for him, is the truth that the Father is actively purging us. And so not only do I need to acknowledge that Christ is the source of vitality, but second of all, I need to accept that the Father is actively purging us. And Jesus speaks about this in several places through this passage. For instance, in verse 1, he states it this way, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. When 
when you think about that phrase, my father is the husbandman. The husbandman was the farmer. He was the one who was responsible for keeping the vineyard. And if you want to think about what, what this is communicating, then maybe in your mind, try to think about the person that you've known in your life who was the most serious gardener you've ever met who is really passionate. Do we have any serious gardeners here tonight? I mean, just, you love gardening? Not me, okay? Okay, I can, Howard? All right, everybody's pointing at Howard. All right. I could take take it or leave it with gardening. In fact, we have almost like a, a standing joke in our house that in the spring, I'll say to my wife, I'm going to run down to the nursery and I'm going to pick up a couple of plants. Listen, we're going to go easy this year, not going to get too much stuff because it, you know, most of the time it doesn't work out anyway, so I'm not going to waste a lot of money on it, but I just want to get a couple things. I just want to get a couple tomato plants, a couple pepper plants, you know, just a little bit of something. And my wife laughs because she knows I'm going to get down there to the nursery and I'm going to see all these cool pepper plants and all these neat tomato plants, and I'm going to think, I want all those, and I'm going to come home with the back of the car full of all this stuff, and then I'm going to plant it, and nothing's going to happen, and it's going to be a waste of money, and we're going to go to the Mennonite farm and buy what we want anyway, which is, which is, and this year we didn't plant anything. We grew thistles, never got to it, all right? So I am not a serious farmer or a serious gardener. But someone who is a serious gardener, and I've known some serious gardeners in my lifetime, someone who is serious, for instance, about keeping an orchard, they are on top of it. And if you've ever had an orchard or if you've ever had fruit trees, you know, there's a lot of work that's involved in it. There's there's a schedule of when different things have to be applied to keep the bugs off and and when you're supposed to prune and when you're supposed to do this and when you're supposed to do that. It makes my head swim just thinking about it. We have fruit trees in our yard and we hardly ever get anything off of them because I don't follow the schedule and I don't pay any attention to it. I'm a terrible husbandman. But God the Father is not a terrible husbandman. He is a passionate husbandman. He is passionate about what he does His expressed responsibility and his passionate pursuit is to be the husbandman in his vineyard. And we are his vineyard. The father takes his job very seriously. He is the husbandman. And what does the husbandman do? Well, in verse 2, Jesus says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. We'll talk about that in a minute. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. So first of all, he is taking away some branches that are not bearing fruit. And we understand this. If there's a a branch that is not bearing some fruit or is going to interfere with the the fruit-bearing capabilities of a tree, the husbandman is going to come along with his pruners and he's going to remove that branch. He's going to take it out of the way. It's something that is going to cause more problems than anything else. And, uh, you know, pruning is a science all of its own. The husbandman is ridding the vineyard of branches that are not bearing fruit. And this is not, I don't think this is meant by Jesus to be a threat. It's not as if Jesus is threatening us. If you don't hurry up and bear some fruit, the father's going to remove you. But it is a sobering reminder of what the father is up to. 
So branches will be removed when they're not bearing fruit. It's just a statement of fact. These branches are going to be purged and taken away. But then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, every branch that beareth fruit, so the ones that are bearing fruit, the ones that are doing what they're supposed to, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And that idea of purging means to cleanse from filth or impurity. It means to, to, uh, to take away the, the things that would become a hindrance for that branch bearing the fruit that it ought to bear. The Father is going to purge these branches. So think about this. If you are saved, if you're a disciple of Christ, Jesus is describing you as a branch that is connected to the vine, and the Father is doing His work. If you're not bearing fruit, at some point the Father will remove you. And, and I believe, you know, not to get into a whole bunch of different discussion about what exactly this is talking about, but He's going to prune, He's going to take away the branches that are not bearing fruit, that are not fulfilling their purpose. But then the ones that are bearing fruit, He's going to come along and He's going to cleanse, He's going to purge them, He's going to help them to be more productive. He's going to do things to make sure that they are bearing at their optimal ability. And what we realize this evening is that none of us is perfect, and we all have a need to be cleansed by the Father. In fact, I was preaching on Sunday at our church from Hebrews chapter 12 about the truths that are found there about chastisement. And chastisement is an interesting word. We think of the word chastisement to mean primarily spanking. But the word chastisement is actually a lot more broad than that. It refers to the full package of instruction of a child. Everything from, uh, from line-by-line instruction to discipline or correction when the instruction is not followed and everything in between. And so what God does in our lives is He chastises all of us who are sons. Everyone who is a legitimate, true son of God, who is a follower of Christ, is going to experience this ministry of God, this chastisement of God that involves both instruction and correction when we get off the path. And this is what it means that the Father is purging, that He's cleansing. This is an important, and a lot of times we think of chastisement as primarily negative, We think of it as something like, oh, I don't want that in my life. But actually, it's something that we all need and we ought to desire because that is what the Father uses to make us more productive, to make us bring forth more fruit. Now, you ask, well, how does the Father make us clean? How does He purge these branches? Well, in verse 3, Jesus says, Now ye are clean, through the word which I have spoken unto you. And now I want you to think about what we talked about last night, about how when we, are, when we fellowship with God, when, when we have the presence of God with us, everything centers around the written word of God. And so what we find is that God does his purging work, his cleansing work in our life through his word. It's the word that the Father uses to purge or cleanse us. And our relationship to the written Word of God is absolutely critical. So the way this looks is that as you're fellowshipping with God and His Word, He frequently uses His Word, and the Holy Spirit 
takes the written word of God and applies it to your life to identify areas that need to be cleansed or changed, modified, so that you can be more productive, so that you can bring forth the fruit that God wants you to bring forth. This is the ministry of God the Father, who is the husbandman. Now, he goes on and he says, If a man, verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And some people believe this, this applies to losing your salvation. And I would just say, uh, it can't possibly mean that, because there's clear passages of Scripture that tell us that we are eternally secure. But what this is describing is that there is correction, and sometimes there is removal from the branch. Sometimes there will be consequences if a man chooses not to be abiding in Christ. Now, God is patient, he's kind, he's long-suffering, he works to purge us, to cleanse us, but if we do not respond to his chastening, to his correction in our life, at some point we'll be removed. And I believe that is a removal of this physical life and taking us to the presence of the Lord because we're no longer productive here. We're no longer doing what God wants us to do. So the Father is purging. He's cleansing. He's doing His work. And why is He doing this? Well, if you notice in verse 8, it's for this purpose, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples. Now, we talked about fruit and what that means, but understand this, the Father's purpose is for your life to bring forth fruit. We have a, I told you, we have a couple of fruit trees in our backyard. And if I paid more attention to them, we probably would get more fruit off of them if I actually kept up with what I was supposed to do. This year, as it turned out, off of our smallest, our smallest, least significant apple tree, we actually got a bowl, a big bowl of apples as a harvest. And so my wife took those and cut them up and cooked them for the kids, and I think she made a pie or something like that. And, and that was our, I mean, that's what we got for the harvest. <clears throat> but if you think about it, you know, I've got these little scraggly trees, these apple trees and a couple of peach trees in the backyard. They're kind of a pain. And they're not all that pretty, actually. So there's just one reason why we have them, and that is to bring forth fruit. We want them to bring forth fruit. In fact, this year, we had, uh, in addition to the two peach trees and the three apple trees, we had a plum tree, but the plum tree got diseased, and last year it did nothing, brought forth nothing. And this year, I felt like it was just in the way So I went out with a chainsaw and I just took the whole thing down, cut it right down to the ground because I said, what is the point of having this ugly looking tree sitting here if it's not going to at least do something? At least I could imagine that we're going to get some fruit off of it, but I can't think that anymore about this tree. So we're just going to cut it right down. My purpose in having those trees is to bring forth fruit. So the father in your life, the reason that he is working, the reason that you got saved, the reason that you became a follower of Jesus Christ, the reason that he redeemed you, the reason that he has offered you eternal life, the reason that he has brought you into fellowship with him, the reason that he has continued to give you physical life 
and the opportunity to relate to him. The reason for all of this is so that you would bring forth fruit. And then if you are a believer who is not bringing forth fruit, and he has been patiently working in your life, and patiently and long in a long-suffering way, trying, trying to bring you into a place of fruitfulness, and you're not coming to a place of fruitfulness, at some point, God draws the line and says, okay, that's it. This is how the Father gets glory. He gets glory when we bring forth fruit, when we do the things that He wants us to do, when we follow in His will, when we please Him, when we bring forth spiritual fruit, this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse 8? So shall ye be my disciples. You cannot be a disciple if you are not bringing forth fruit, or at least you're not the kind of disciple that the Father wants you to be. Let me put it this way. If you are a disciple of Christ, the deepest longing of your heart ought to be, Father, I want to bring forth fruit. I want to accomplish your purpose. I want to be used of you to be a fruitful Christian. Please do that work in my life. This is a prayer we ought to pray frequently. This is something we ought to seek after because this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to bring forth fruit and to realize that the Father is actively purging us. We need to yield to that cleansing work in our lives. We need to let him, we, we talked about how his commands are not grievous. We need to let him put his finger on the areas of our life that need to change so that we can become fruitful like we ought to be. So acknowledge that Christ is the source of vitality. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Accept that God is going to be pruning, that he's going to be doing this cleansing work in your life. But then finally... Number three, and it's, it's stated very simply all through the passage, we are to abide in Christ. Now, I want, before we talk about what this is, I want to just help you a little bit, I, I hope, because I think some people puzzle over this abiding in Christ, and they get confused about it, and they, they make it something that it isn't, and they're trying so hard to abide in Christ. It's like, it's like, some, you know, mm, I'm going to abide in Christ. Mm, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to mm, abide in Christ. I'm abiding in Christ. I'm going to do it. I think I can. I know I can. All right, don't make it more complicated than it is. To abide in Christ, what is it? If it's not some kind of a complicated, it's definitely not an emotional experience. And I think that's what a lot of people have in their mind, you know, this abiding in Christ. You know, when I have this emotional experience, then I'll really know that I'm abiding in Christ. No, it's, it's not really like that. To abide in Christ is actually very simple. And we'll talk about what the word means in just a moment. But com just let's start with the metaphor. Because in verse 2, he's giving us a metaphor he says, as every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. So he's comparing us to a branch. In verse 4, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. So consider this metaphor. There's a branch. The branch is where the fruit is born. The branch needs to be connected to the vine. 
In this case, we're talking about a grapevine. I could be talking about a branch with a tree, same type of a concept. So the branch needs to be connected to the vine in order for the fruit to grow out here. And if there comes a barrier in the connection here between the branch and the vine, what's going to happen to the fruit? Well, there will be no fruit. Because for there to be fruit out here, there must be a connection here. The branch must be solidly connected to the to the vine, to the trunk. It has to be a good connection. There, there will be no vitality. There will be no fruit bearing without that connection. And just like it's impossible for a branch to bear fruit apart from the vitality that is administered from the vine, so it is impossible for us to be the disciples that God wants us to be without being connected to the vine. Who is the vine? The vine is Christ. We must be in intimate connection with Christ. So he uses the word abide. He uses it a couple of times in the passage. For instance, in verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. In verse 6, he says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. In verse 7, he says, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will. So this idea of abiding is repeated throughout the passage. There's more places than the ones that I read. The word abide has several meanings. Let me give those to you quickly, and then let's discuss what this means to abide in Christ. First of all, to abide means to remain in expectation or to wait for something. The word abide also means to remain without going away, to stay. The word abide means to reside or to dwell. The word abide means to remain or continue in a particular state. It's the idea of continuing to do something. The word abide means to wait for someone or something with expectation. Now think about that word for a minute, to abide. And think about what it means to us as Christians to abide. We are to remain in expectation or to wait. To abide in Christ, we are expecting something from Christ, aren't we? We're expecting, if you will, the culmination of our salvation. We are expecting that he is coming back for us. We are expecting that this life is not all there is. We are expecting that he is going to evidence his resurrection life in us so that we can demonstrate the power of God to the world. So to abide means to wait in expectation. We have not yet arrived. Brethren, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Therefore, we wait. We abide. So there is an attitude of expectation. To abide also means to remain without going away. It means to stay. And this is the idea of faithfulness, to remain the same. There are many things that God asks us to do in our Christian life which are repetitive. And sometimes we wonder, 
What's the point? What's the purpose? I was talking with our church family. I've been teaching on the family in our Wednesday evening services, and I spoke the other night about the priorities of a family. And we were dealing with the importance of setting the right priorities in your family lest you get 15 or 20 years down the road and regret the priorities that you've set. And, and in the process of that, I was talking about how, you know, when you make decisions about church attendance, it, it can be difficult to always be faithful to the services of the assembly. There's a lot of things that collide from real life. You all understand what I'm talking about. You, you know, you're tired. You came home from work. You're weary. Um, now that we're all live streaming, you know, I could just... I could just get a shower, get something to eat, get in my jammies, get on the couch, get the live stream going, and then when the service is over, I could go right to bed. It'd be so much easier. I told the church, you know, when we were when our children were younger, there were times when honestly it felt like, especially to my wife, I'm not sure what the point is of going to church. Because we're going to get there and I'm going to take these little ones and we're going to try to get them in class, but they're not going to cooperate because they're grumpy. And, and I'm going to spend the whole service running back and forth to the nursery or to the class, checking on them, dealing with them, disciplining them, trying to get them to stay in class or some other such thing. And I'm not going to hear anything that's said anyway. And so sometimes it's like, well, why go? And maybe some of you have thought that or felt that. And so what I was expressing to our church family was, you know, even in those seasons, we made the decision to say, no, it's important to be in church. It's important to be there. Even if you don't feel like you're getting that much out of it, it's important to be there because you are establishing patterns which are going to yield a fruit down the road. So when we faithfully do the things that God wants us to do, we are abiding in Christ because we are staying with it. We are remaining without going away. A lot of abiding in Christ looks like faithful Christian living, even when you don't see the big results that you're hoping for. What we find is that most of those results come later, and the harvest is a ways down the road. Many people are looking for the instant harvest, but that's not how fruit-bearing happens. The word abide also means to sojourn, to reside, or to dwell. And the idea there means that you are at home. You live in that place. You're comfortable. Like, you're comfortable at the place where you live. When you get to your home, you walk in the door, you're comfortable. That's your place. You probably have a favorite chair. You probably have a, a, a favorite pair of of slippers or something like that. You probably have uh, some favorite activities. That's your place. That's where you're at home. You can relax there. You walk in the door. Oh, I'm home. It's like when you've been gone on a long trip and you come in the door. I remember years ago, we traveled to South Africa as a family. We were gone for four weeks and we were very tired. By the time we came home, we walked in our front door and we were home. And it was so nice to walk into our house and we just said, Oh, we are home. We're here. 
because that's where we dwell. You know, that's what it means to abide in Christ. It means to be at home with Christ, to, to find your place of comfort, your place of rest, your place of peace is with him. It also means to remain or continue in some state or action, to continue to be something. To abide in Christ means to remain in following after Christ. I'm going to keep following Christ. I'm going to keep going after him. This is what it means to abide in Christ. I'm going to keep going after Christ. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to serve him because I believe that it's important to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ means to wait for someone or something with expectation. Because he is real to us, we expect that we are going to see him one day. And we wait with expectation. This is what it means to abide. Abide in Christ. As a believer, I must abide in Christ. Now notice this in verse 4. There's a reciprocation of this abiding. Because he says, abide in me and I in you. And this is the joy of abiding in Christ. He doesn't just say, Now you keep holding on to me. And and you know, this is a truth when we think about eternal security. And I mentioned eternal security a few minutes ago. The reason that I believe in eternal security is not because of my superior power to hold on to him. In fact, as I've told our church folks so many times, if I could lose my salvation, I would. That's actually one of the things that I don't understand about people who who don't believe in eternal security. Every time I've ever talked with someone who doesn't believe in eternal security, they believe that they are saved. And I say to them, I'm not sure why you think that you're saved. If you could lose your salvation, are you telling me that you have been, you have kept God's law without transgression since the time that you got saved? You have never broken God's law one time? Are you seriously telling me that? Oh, well, well, you know, I mean... No, not like that, but you know, I haven't committed any serious sins. Now, wait a second. That's not the standard. The standard of salvation is keep the law perfectly. Why would it be different later? You see what I'm saying? If it's it's my responsibility to cling to him, I'm sunk. The joy that I have is that he holds on to me. So if it's, if it's just, I've got to abide in him, then I'm not going to accomplish that. But what I find is that he wants to abide with me. He wants to stay with me. He wants to remain with me. He's not letting me go. He's not going to let me walk away. He's not just going to let me go after my own path. He is going to keep working in my life. The reason I can abide in him is because he is abiding in me. Because he is dwelling with me, I can dwell with him. You see, when I yield to him abiding with me, there is an expectation and there is an enabling for me to abide with him. The responsibility for abiding is made possible by the fact that Christ is abiding with me. And what a joy this is. Think about what, a, what an incredible blessing it is to have Christ 
in you the hope of glory. Him dwelling with you so that you can abide in Him, so that you can bring forth fruit, so that the Father can be glorified. This is what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple really means to be in fellowship with God. It means to be in fellowship after Christ. To be a disciple means that I am going to be fruitful as He enables me. So tonight, I want you to think about your own connection with the Lord. Do you sense that you have a vital connection to the Lord? Do you sense that you are receiving your strength, your vitality, your hope, your help from the person of Christ? Do you know tonight that you are connected to Him? Do you know that what you accomplish today was His will for your life today? Do you know that the decisions that you made in the last 24 hours are in accordance with His will for your life? Because that's what it means to abide in Christ. That's what it means to be connected to Him. And that is God's will for every disciple to be connected to the vine so that we might bring forth fruit.